Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, tennis fans, and welcome to The Passing Shot, an extra slice. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello tennis fans, Wandering Wildcard Joel here and welcome to The Passing Shot, an extra slice where we look at one thing from the tennis world. So this week on An Extra Slice, we are going to be doing a vintage catch-up and the Grand Slam we have chosen for this episode is the French Open 2005. Kim, I know this means a lot to you because this Grand Slam, it was Rafa's first title I know his first well his first Grand Slam title uh fresh out of the box never played at Roland Garros before he went on to win it uh the first time of asking what more could you want um I do feel like a bit of a fake fan though because I actually didn't start following Rafa until 2006 but I'm just going to claim you know uh belated victory as his fan for this one in the build-up you know he'd actually won Monte Carlo and Rome people were saying you know, he's one to watch. Uh, and then he he proved everyone, everyone who was predicting great things correct and went on to win. Um, and now he's he's got it 11 times, you know, history has been made. And this was the, the kickstart for that on the, the Roland Garros, you know, clay. Um, did, did you follow this one much, Joel? Because I was I was still at school. I was, you know, just studying away. I was not involved in the tennis world until, as I said, the year after this. So my my only awareness was probably what Tim Henman did in this tournament as a Brit, you know. Well, Kim, growing up, I was a big Tim Henman fan. So, you know, I know that Roger Federer was in the draw. I know that Rafael Nadal was in the draw. But my, all my eyes were on the seventh seed, <laughs> Tim Henman, just to see how he, would, how he would get on. I was praying that he would get to the second week. And uh, yeah, he... Sadly, he didn't. We'll, we'll get on to that <laughs> later. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I know he 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 previously had form because he got to the semi-finals of the French Open, I think, in the previous year or maybe the year before, where he mm. lost to Guillermo Correa. But uh, yeah, I I was aware of the tournament. I was watching. I was watching it at the time. And yeah, we are going to do. We are going to apply our patented catch-up. Uh, service to to this Grand Slam. So what we're going to do is we're going to go through the men's draw. We're going to go through the women's draw. We're going to then look at the Brits and then follow that up with the doubles and juniors. Yeah, there's some there's some real interesting names that we can draw out of these draw sheets. Let's begin with the men, as you said. So as I was looking at the seedings, I noticed quite interestingly there was four Argentinians in the top ten. So we had Gaston Gaudio, Guillermo Correa, Guillermo Cañas and David Nelbandian. That's a really high percentage for any one, you know, country to have so many players in the top 
top 10. Um, so I thought that was quite interesting to know. A lot of other players, though, um, you know, that sort of very well known, obviously, Agassi was still playing then. You had Roddick, Safin, Davidenko, you know, Stepanek, Tommy Haas. It's a wash with, you know, classics of the game. I mean, maybe not classics in terms of having won thousands of titles, but, you know, for any hardcore tennis fans, you'd know those names, some, wouldn't you? There is some there is some proper nostalgia, Kim. But also looking at the seed list, there are a few players there still playing today. And, I mean, the top seed was Roger Federer. And that's in 2005. And he's still going to be a probably a, a top four seed in, in 2019. Oh, no. isn't, that, isn't that mad? 14 years later. That is absurd. Um, number 11 seed, Joachim Johansson. Who is he? I've never heard of him in my life. I've heard of Thomas Johansson. Don't know who Joachim is. Sorry for my ignorance. Also, number 17 seed, Dominic Herberty. Literally never heard of him either. I um yeah I know all of the other names in this list but not those two I have to say Joachim Johansson all you need to know is he had a massive serve and got to the semi-finals of the of the US Open beating Andy Roddick Dominic Herberty all you need to know is that you're saying his name wrong because his name oh, is no. actually his his name is actually pronounced I believe Dominic Herberty so you will be putting money into the pronunciation in our, jar. and our pronunciation yeah. swear jar oh, <laughs> sorry Dominic sorry yeah but 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 <laughs> But before we be before we move on, just quickly, we have Roger Federer still playing today. But there are a few other names as well on the in the seeds that are still playing. We have uh, David Ferrer, um, who was the twentieth seed. We also have Feliciano Lopez, Mikhail Yuzhny. He might um, he might be still I kicking think about. He's still technically playing, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and Richard, yeah, yeah, Richard Gasquet. So a few few players in that seed list showing their uh, endurance and, and still playing today. We're going to kind of move on, forget the earlier rounds. We're going to skip to the business end at the quarterfinal stage. And I think, you know, kind of looking at the quarterfinals, top half quite, I think it's quite, the draw is quite top heavy, um, apart from one quite rogue name, Kim, in, in the quarterfinals against Roger Federer. Yeah, Victor Hanescu. Hmm. How, how he made it there, uh, I mean, <laughs> I suppose clay was probably his best surface. And then, yeah, so Roger Federer against Victor Hanescu. Rafa played David Ferrer, so that was probably one of many, you know, matchups. Uh, obviously, they played a final, the French, uh, many years later. And then bottom half, Nikolai Davidenko against Tommy Robredo. And then Canyas against Puerta, so an all-Argentinian uh, matchup. And then, obviously, we had the famous Federer-Nadal semi-final with Rafa winning and then it was Davidenko against Puerta with Puerta making the final. Looking at the draw in the quarterfinals the Federer and Nadal both won really comfortably in straight sets but uh, in the the bottom half the Davidenko Robredo match was five sets, Canyas Puerta five sets and then that semi-final the Davidenko Puerta semi-final was five sets so a lot of tennis being played in that uh, in that bottom half well, Four Puerta. Clay court. I don't know, marathons. <laughs> Ten feet behind the baseline. No underarm serves here. No Nick Kyrgios on the scene just yet. No, he's probably still in diapers. Um, so Mariano Puerta, though, I didn't realise this. Maybe I'm too young and innocent and naive, but I didn't realise he was he had been banned for nine months after testing positive for a prohibited substance. And that was back in... 2003 so you know him making the final 
I don't know if he had something to prove, you know, if he was no longer taking, you know, he was clean. But I think that kind of caused a bit of controversy because also Coria, uh, who he had beaten, oh no, who was just in the tournament. Um, <laughs> he'd also been done for drugs, hadn't he? Um, a few years before that as well. So, and he'd got to the final the year before. So all these Argentinians flying around, doing really well on the clay, having been previously banned for drugs. I just thought, oh, that's a bit interesting. Didn't quite realise that had been such a thing. As I said, I came into tennis like the year after that. So that kind of, this was all new for me when we were like looking at uh, this tournament and, you know, applying our retrospective catch-up lens <laughs> to it. Yeah, and, and Puerta... Puerta got to the final. Before we come on to Nadal, Puerta got to the final. Um, he had a ranking of 440, I assume, coming back from his his uh, his drug span um, in July. And he had re-entered the top 50. So he had done pretty well to get, um, you know, to get back up there. But still, you know, not necessarily a household name. He was unseeded in the tournament. And, you know, that's a pretty pretty big effort to be unseeded and, and get to the get to the final I think if he'd have won though there would have been quite a lot of tension coming back from a drugs ban it's you know it's like when Sharapova came back people were very sort of opposed to that so I, I do think if Puerto had won it would have been quite a controversy but he didn't win did he Kim no thank god um <laughs> because Rafa burst onto the scene and yeah uh, the rest is history I suppose he was the youngest Grand Slam champion, the first man to win a slam as a teenager. Um, he was only 18, uh, but very soon to turn 19. Um, his birthday is June the 3rd. So I suppose this final was probably like, no, yeah, it would have been. I don't know exactly what day of the week it was. Well, obviously it was a Sunday, but I don't know what particular date it was. Interestingly, though, I was looking at who Rafa actually played in the draw. Someone he played in the first round, someone called Bergsmüller. Now, have you ever heard of Bergsmüller? He's a German ranked number 96 in the world. Uh, that was Rafa's first ever match at the French Open. So at least he's got some kind of claim to fame. And, and actually, I think, it, I think what was, really, what was no, notable about that match was Nadal won it in straight sets. But to date, that's the only match that hasn't taken place on either of the two main courts at the French Open for Rafael Nadal. That was his only mm. match on an outside court, which is um, <laughs> which is crazy, crazy to think. But uh, yeah, he, he took out Bergsmüller and kind of en route to the final, he beat uh, Xavier Melisse in straight sets uh, in the second round and then followed that by beating teenager Richard Gasquet in three. He then beat Sebastian Grosjean in four sets and David Ferrer in the quarterfinals so he came up against Federer in the semi-finals and obviously that was a big popcorn match for the spectators who were kind of wondering you know how this was going to go because this was their first ever match on a clay court they had split two hardcore hard court matches earlier in their careers but this was their first match on clay so no one really knew you know was was this was this kind of young teenager going to be able to kind of usurp the the world number one and and if so you know how dominant was he going to be or was kind of Federer going to be able to kind of bat away this yeah this this teenager who who seemingly had had come come out of nowhere um, to to get to the semi finals 
Mm. Also, I should correct myself. Michael Chang actually won uh, a slam at 17 and three months year, uh, three months old. So Rafa wasn't the youngest winner. Um, so apologies for my error just a moment ago. But yeah, I mean, I remember my mum actually saying, oh, this guy's just burst onto the scene and beaten Federer. And I was like, oh, whatever, because I wasn't really interested in tennis that much at the time. And then it was just ironic that a year later, I was just like, who is this guy? He's awesome. And then I just got really, really into tennis. And now I'm doing a podcast. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it's a very memorable tournament, especially on the men's side, you know, because of Rafa coming to the fore. And we'll have to do more vintage catch-ups, uh, looking back at maybe other players' first kind of real major breakthroughs in the slam. So if anyone's got any suggestions for particular tournaments that you'd like us to discuss, then please do let us know. Shall we move on to the women's tournament, Joel, and have a have a little catch-up on that? Yeah. I mean, I don't think this this particular tournament was sort of groundbreaking for the women, but we had Justine Enin-Arden. She won her second French Open title, defeating uh, Mary Pierce in the final. Um, it was a bit of a whitewash in the final. It was just 62 minutes long. Um, but this actually marked the first of three consecutive years in which uh, Justine Enin, or Enin-Arden, I think she was known at that particular time, um, yeah, it was the first of three years in which she would win uh, Roland Garros. Yeah, and kind of again, looking at the, the seed list, I think Justine Nardem was seeded 10th. You had Lindsay Dan- Davenport as the top seed. Sharapova was the second seed. Mm, yeah, You had uh, a home, home favourite, Amelie Moresmo, um, as the third seed. And then Dementieva uh, as the fourth seed. You know, kind of not as surprising as loads of Argentinians in the top 10 in, in the men's seeding. Uh, there are five five Russians. Five Russians <laughs> in the yeah. So sorry, six Russians. Six, six Russians, Russians. In, yeah. in the top ten. Oh my gosh! So that's crazy. So you had Sharapova, Dementieva, Anastasia Miskina, mm. Kuznetsova, who who actually won today, I think, which is she's uh, still going. Yes. Yeah, she's a bit. Yeah, Nadia Petrova and Vera Zvonareva, who I also think is uh, who she's is mounting going, a comeback yeah. of sorts. Of also, Patty Schneider uh, was the ninth seed. Hasn't she just come out of retirement or something this year? She started playing again, hasn't she? And she's like 40-something. Um, obviously, Venus Williams was the 11th seed. Serena Williams doesn't feature. Is that because she was on one of her long breaks that she took from injury? And actually, the only American to get to the to the quarterfinals was the top seed was Lindsay Davenport but mm. she became unstuck against Mary Pierce 6362 um looking just looking at the other quarterfinals i mean the the second quarterfinal in that in that in the top half i've never heard of either of those names kim and yeah. I'm, I'm honestly scared to try and pronounce them pronounce them uh well the first one is Elena Likovseva, Likovseva. I've I've never I've never heard of her. And the other one is Cecil Karatancheva. Karatancheva, is that she possibly Bulgarian? Bulgarian, so, yeah. Yeah, and Elena Likovseva made the semi-finals and then got thumped by Mary Pierce. So interestingly, though, the other quarters you had Nadia Petrova against Anna Ivanovic. Uh, obviously, Ivanovic went on to win it in 2008. And then you had Justine Enin-Arden against Sharapova. 
Um, and obviously Sharapova went on to win it. The year escapes me, but you know, it's interesting that you then have some future champions in there, um, you know, playing in sort of some of their earlier, earlier slams. But kind of a lot of the, just looking at the results, a lot of them quite one-sided. Mm. Uh, I mean, from the quarterfinals onwards, there was only one match that went three sets. Yeah. Um, so yeah, not a, not a kind of vintage, the scorelines don't suggest that they were very competitive you know, matchups and the final itself was almost a complete, complete blowout with Enan Arden beating Mary Pierce in front of her home crowd, 6-1-6-1. I kind of looked into it to to see, you know, what, what was the kind of the reason there and, and, and Pierce in an interview afterwards said that she was too mellow in her, in her thrashing. Too mellow. (laughs) What a way to describe it. Mm. Um, Maybe, yeah. <laughs> just, just a bit too chill. Just too yeah, chill. although I feel the, the French fla- flans, the French fans quite enjoyed Justine Enan. I mean, she was Belgian. She was quite sort of graceful on court. Like, I feel like they always kind of warmed to her quite a lot. So maybe they weren't too upset. But yeah, it does make you appreciate women's tennis now, doesn't it? We've got, you know, those epic matches that we get between like Halep and Pliskova or Kerber, you know, Osaka and everything. Like, I do think women's tennis is in a much healthier state than it was, say, back in 2005 with all those sort of dramatically one-sided matches going on. So it's quite interesting to see the difference. What was quite cool about it? Enan Arden's win though was she defeated Kuznetsova in the fourth round and she actually saved two match points in that match coming out 7-6-4-6-7-5 and she became only the second woman to win the French Open after saving a match point. Is who who's the first was she the second woman or yeah so someone would have done it before her because I was just thinking has someone done that recently like I don't know Ostapenko or something but no I don't think she did um yeah, so I mean, yeah, it's interesting. I and mean, most of these players, yeah, not many of them are still going, are they? Out of the Sharapova, just about Kuznetsova, Zvonareva, oh, Yankovic has Yankovic has retired now. I don't know. She's still going. Yeah, Venus Williams is still going. I've never heard of this one. Right, the twelve seed Elena Bovina. Never heard of her. Um, another Russian player, unless she got married or something and had a different name. I don't know. Um, but yeah, it's a very interesting to look back actually and see some of these names in the draw. Um, let's move on to British players now and uh, have a look at what, what Tim Hemman and uh, the like did in 2005 at Roland Garros. Um now, if you're thinking British players, 2005, you've got Tim Hemman, Greg Rosetsky. M- most people probably wouldn't be able to think of any other British players beyond those two. But there were there were a few competing, wasn't there? <laughs> yeah, so we had Hemman. Hemman was our highest ranked player. He was he went into the tournament as a seventh seed. Clay, obviously not. Um, although he got got to the semi-finals, a lot of people felt that you know, Clay wasn't his his strongest service being a you know typical kind of servant volleyer lost to Luis Horner in round two in four sets and uh that was pretty much as as good as it got for the Brits because Greg Rosetsky was also in the main draw lost to a lucky loser in round one um Flavio Soretta uh another a clay specialist from Brazil 
So not not too great there. Um, the, the most interesting thing I found actually was in the qualifying for the men's draw was Alex Bogdanovic, who got to the second round of qualifying before losing to Mark Jiquel, um in straight sets. But Jiquel went on, obviously, to the final round of qualifying where he lost to the 15th seed. And who was that 15th seed, Kim? Is this the fifteenth seed in qualifying? You mean fifteenth seed um, in qualifying? Oh, I, I don't know. Enlighten me. <laughs> <laughs> it was Novak Djokovic. So oh, oh, <laughs> how funny! Oh, so uh, yeah, Djokovic getting through uh, to the main draw, and um, he was obviously um, just you know starting out and, and getting a feel for for Grand Slam tennis at that time, um, and just kind of quickly. In terms of the the female Brits, there were no female representatives in the main draw from uh, the British contingent. Elena Bautasha was the only representative and she went out in the first round of qualifying to Elise Tamea, who actually still plays tennis on the ITF women's circuit today. So, which is, you know, which is which is fair play, given, you know, if she's hankering away in uh, the tier below the the wta level um you know she's she not easy been... to make a living on that circuit yeah. so fair play to her yeah i wonder what kiothavong and uh well i suppose it would only really have been kiothavong as, as the other sort of top british woman at the time i wonder what she was uh where she was ranked at the time um also when you said hemman played louis 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 horner um He's Peruvian, and I was thinking, wow, he must be like the only Peruvian tennis player that like has ever really reached, you know, the heights. So I was sort of googling Peruvian players, and um, yeah, there was I found this uh, this list of you know the top tennis players from Peru. Never heard of any of them. Like, so Lewis Horner must be, I don't know, like a saint in Peru for uh, his exploits on the tennis circuit because. You know, I think that's probably the one country that doesn't have many top players at all. Um, so I just thought that was quite interesting from a kind of global perspective. I think, I think, as you said, T, we've got to give credit to to Horder actually because you pointed out to me uh, before the podcast he actually defeated Roger Federer um, in the two thousand three French Open in the first round. So he's obviously got some ability or on a clay court mm. so so perhaps you know not that surprising he was able to take out um the seventh seed tim henman <laughs> yeah oh bless tim henman tim henman <laughs> uh let's take a look at the doubles draw then so um we had well a few players obviously doubles has a greater longevity uh than singles players so looking at the doubles uh finalists and 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 what have you uh there's a few names that are still going brian brothers you know classic they got to the final of the men's doubles and they were defeated by jonas bjorkman and max murney so max murney only just retired at the end of last year uh brian's are still going i think jonas bjorkman well he played for many years after that particular tournament so you know was still, still going quite strong um, women's doubles, we had Virginia Ruano Pascal and Paola Suarez defeating Cara Black and Liesl Huber. So Cara Black and Liesl Huber, some classic doubles uh, doubles pairings there. 
And I then mean, the, both those mm. yeah, both those pairs are yeah. really not not surprised at all about that women's doubles. No, uh, that's sort of got final. yeah. I mean, they were both uh, the men's and women's actually, and the mix. They were all three set of matches, so you know, um, not tight sets, but you know, fairly standard finals, I suppose. Uh, mixed doubles: Daniela Hantikova and Fabrice Santoro. They defeated Martina Navratilova and Leander Pays. So it's quite amazing that Martina Navratilova was uh, featuring uh, in that mixed doubles final. And I worked out she would have been around 48 um, in that in that particular time. So that's pretty incredible um, that she was still, still going strong um, at 48 and featuring in Grand Slam finals. Yeah absolutely that's yeah that's that's crazy i mean could i almost can feel could federer do a navratilova and play till 48 what, and just just switch to doubles and or do you mean playing singles yeah, yeah do mix <laughs> oh. go into mixed doubles with Merka. oh my gosh yeah or one of his daughters he could play with his daughters oh that would that would be crazy. that would be that would be like such a cute like oh that would be so funny. He could play with like Layton Hewitt and Cruz or something, and then they could like team up and do like daddy, do- daddy, child doubles or something. Um, like family, family doubles. Um, yeah, I mean, it's mad, isn't it? But I mean, imagine if we do a catch up of the 2019 French Open in 14 years from now. I wonder what we'd be saying about this tournament coming up. Um, Interestingly, though, the juniors, let's let's talk about the juniors. Boys singles, Marin Cilic won the boys singles that year. Um, so, you know, that was a good a good kind of indication of, uh, you know, future solid, solid player, Grand Slam champion. Uh, girls singles, though, Agnes Shavai of Hungary won the tournament. And I do remember her name and I remember she... She got up to, I think, about as high as like 13 in the world. But sadly, she had to retire quite early on in her career through injury. So she didn't get the chance to kind of prove to the tennis world what she was capable of. Um, oh, as and Azarenka won the, the girls' doubles. Yeah, the girls' doubles with Agnes Shavai. So, you know... Uh, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? When you look through the old draw sheets and you see like the juniors and you think, oh, it's them, you know, whereas half of them, you know, you never hear of again. But um, I mean, Leonardo Mayer, uh, he won the boys doubles. He's still going. Jeremy Shardy lost in the boys doubles final. So there are, you know, there are some names that are, you know. Have met. It's a real mixed bag, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. There's, there's names there who have gone on to be Grand Slam champions. Yeah. But there's yeah. also names there that could be working in my local Tesco and I would have no idea. Like Antel van der Doom, who lost to <laughs> Chilich in that boys final. Uh, I, his last recorded ranking was 869 on the tour and he only ever got to as high as 214 in the world in October 2016. So yeah, Tesco might be the better option for him now. But um, yeah, it's quite interesting to look back at all those sort of uh, tournaments as well. And that's why I, I quite like watching the juniors when I'm, when I'm actually at a slam, you know, I like to go and see um, what's going on. Cause I, you know, I remember a few years ago at Wimbledon watching Riley Opelka in the Wimbledon boys doubles with Taylor Fritz and, you know, their regular names on the tour now. So 
it's always worth checking out. But I mean, obviously, this this Grand Slam will be remembered to, as being Rafael Nadal's first first French Open crown. Before we kind of wrap up the episode, how many more do you think he could oh, go on to win? Oh, oh, I would really like him to get a twelfth. Um, I think. 13, you know, would be great. Um, but that was also an unlucky number. So I think 12 is a reasonable thing to um, aim for. But I do worry more now about his his body and his knees. Um, so I don't like to p- make predictions really because... Fair enough. I feel like it might well, I, put the curse on it <laughs> as a Rafa fan. I think, yeah, I, I think I'm going to have to call it now. I know I made terrible predictions, but... We had the first meeting on clay of Rafael Nadal and Roger Federer in the 2005 French Open. And I feel like it could very well happen uh, this year as well. So, Well, Federer's uh, actually playing the clay season this year. Yeah, so, so that's uh, one thing, you know, one start anyway. So let's uh, well, let's uh, let's see if that comes true. But I think that's it for this episode of the passing shot and exercise thanks for joining us for our retrospective catch-up of the french open 2005 if you have any thoughts on any grand slams you want us to have the a retrospective catch-up over please feel free to tweet us um, on twitter at passing shot pod or get in touch with us on email passing shot pod at gmail.com or drop us a message on facebook at passing shot pod uh remember to subscribe to us as well we'll be back um we'll be back next week doing our regular catch-up uh looking back at the last two weeks on the atp and wta circuits um but until then um i hope you enjoyed listening to this episode kim do you have any final thoughts no i um i just look forward to doing more catch-ups uh you know 15 years from now on episode i don't know 900 we'll be looking back at uh 2019 on the tour and uh yeah we'll be much older and wiser i'm sure in our tennis knowledge then (laughs) cool well okay uh thanks for listening and goodbye Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.